Hello and welcome to this edition of the ARC Audio Book Club. My name is Megan Holt and this month Gio is out on leave. And filling her curatorial shoes, we have Sherry Helberg, who has uh, chosen this book for us, Ocean Vong's novel, On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. The novel is a, is a tale of migration uh, following a um, Vietnamese refugee in America. It's written as a letter to his mother and tells the story of uh, dealing with long-term trauma, um, adjusting to a culture and a language outside of, well, which causes great divisions between the family and uh, the development of his own sexuality and finding a place in the world where misery still seems to carry on even though the material comforts seem to be a little bit better. And with me this month to discuss the book, we have Charlie Casarino. Hello. Sherry Helberg, as I mentioned. Hello. <laughs> and Amelia Vangensen. Hi. Um, so as I mentioned in the intro, this is uh, a letter written to the main character, Little Dog's uh, mother. Um, and what's interesting about this is that he is only writing this because he knows that his mother will never be able to read it. Um, and I think that's a really interesting kind of formal conceit to start off a work, uh, to have an intended audience that is always, inex- well, always, well, always find the work inaccessible. Um, is there any of my thoughts? They wanna... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Well, there's this anxiety that goes through the text, and I think especially because so much of it is, it's, well, it's not, it doesn't develop chronologically, but it goes back and it starts in a way, um, though not at the beginning necessarily, with um, him as a child, and then goes up until sort of the present where he's now a writer. Um, and what um, you can feel, I think, is happening is that with there's this sense, and I think maybe I'm getting this from an interview I read with him or saw, um, that with every word that he writes is one step in English is one step further away from his mother. So there's this sort of tension of writing being this like point of opening this way of accessing beauty, but it also is something that seems to distance him even further from from his mother and from his family. Yeah, that's a that's a very fascinating <laughs> tension, isn't it? Um, and then also like then the kind of the insistence that then you must all the same, like being aware of that dynamic and then choosing beauty is a curious choice to make. Choosing beauty in the sense you mean writing the letter anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the impossibility of the letter ever reaching the potential it's supposed to, or how can you say, not even... Yeah, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, is it Derrida maybe? There's someone like, does a letter ever reach its destination? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> oh, academics. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He definitely read Derrida. <laughs> no, but I mean, I say that mostly because there are the quotes from Bart there, yeah. and I feel like if you read Bart, then probably, probably read Derrida. Derrida. <laughs> Especially when you spend all this time writing letters that don't reach a destination. But I mean, one thing that I think is interesting about this too is that there's this clash between this sort of the harshness and the violence and like what can't be put into words, mm-hmm. and then with what seems like. Um, I mean, he's so adept at writing and so good mm. at writing and such a beautiful writer. So there's yeah. this kind of like um, overflowing of vocabulary yeah. that's, yeah. that's it, like existing or like through which he describes this yeah. like the pain of not having the words. Yeah, yeah. But um, I feel like it also speaks like the whole idea of him writing a letter to someone who will never be able to read it because they don't have access to the English language. 
that goes throughout the book as kind of a theme as language is loss, language is power. There's this thing like there's a, it seems to go throughout the book that this relationship with his mother is based on, in many ways, their lack of shared language. Mm. And the shared language I feel in the book becomes much more about the body and the ways that they're together in um, in their house, at her workplace, in a in a sort of bodily way, rather than any verbal communication. Mm. But then, but his way of expressing himself is then through this letter. So it's almost like then language actually becomes a kind of poor substitute that we get to have access to because yeah. we can't actually access the thing that he's talking about. Yeah, and it also seems to come. I'm now. I'm now. I'm. I'm referring to something that's way at the end of the book, so I won't really say the scene, but there is a scene where... Oh, we can. We spoil. We spoil. We spoil? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there's a scene where the his mother and the mother's sister is washing the body of uh, his grandmother, who dies. And uh, and he is... Uh, they're, they're very... They know exactly... He describes how they know exactly what to do they uh, go about it in like this efficient but very loving manner. And he's stuck in the corner thinking about, actually, I think he says Bart and, uh, you know, uh, uh, counting to five and thinking about all these academics that he's read. Um, but without being able to access the situation mm. and being part of that situation in the same way. So I felt in that scene, there's this thing of different knowledges mm. that are used in different contexts Mm-hmm. And he can he has his language mm-hmm. through which he can act, try to access some of that. But they have their experience, mm. which he's somehow trying to translate in this letter. Yeah. So the letter is to his mother, but is it for his mother? Does that make sense as a question? I mean, that was something I find myself wondering. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's to his mother, but it's it's very clearly not for his mother. And it's almost explicitly stated that it's not for her. Um, mm. And it's like he does say, I think at some point that... I'm only able to write it because you will not read it. Yeah. But, yeah, so. No, no, I've, no, uh, what was I going to say? Yes, but I, I think, um, so the, the important thing I think that I'd want to stress in this is that um, the, the negative properties of the language are also enabling for him, yeah. right? The very, the very things that sort of uh, separate him from uh, his mother also separating him from his mother's trauma. Uh, so it is, you know, he's, he's using it and obviously to become mm-hmm. something else, to become a writer, to move to New York, um, to write this. Um, yeah. So there's probably, you can t- I think maybe you can talk about a sort of, maybe, I don't know if it's guilt, but mm-hmm. there's definitely this, both things are happening at the same time, I think. There is something because there's like a, a, a thing a thing later on where he talks about um, how much he hates what the beauty parlor has done to her hands, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that kind of like and you get that that notion of like inscription and marking on the body of like both trauma and then also just toil, and his escape from that is by entering into this abstraction of the of the system that he lives in. Um, which is like poetic language, um, and yeah, that spares him lots of those kinds of things. And yeah, he's still able to witness it and able to like know that he's getting away from it. So I guess mm-hmm. that yeah, that is. There's an interesting now that you mentioned the hands. Mm-hmm. 
And do you recall there's a right so so little dog the main character starts working at a tobacco farm at some point, mm-hmm. um, and there's this description where he he refuses to wear gloves the first day, and his hands become completely brittle. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, this is maybe, he describes his hands a little bit the way he describes his mother's hands. Mm. So there's, in that toil, there's mm. that connection between them. Yeah. But then this story is, because it's from his point of view as a writer, you know the arch that his life is going to take, mm. which is away from that toil and away yeah. from that tobacco ranch. Um, so there's like a brief moment where they may, they're kind of meeting yeah. with, you know, mm. in work. Yeah. But which he somehow is, uh, it's a story of escape, which he escapes yeah. from. Yeah. I think his name itself is kind of the little microcosm that mm. that gives you an idea of what the language, like the the tension with the language as well. The fact that he's called little dog mm. as a, it's a sort of, uh, it's supposed it's it's like a it's an insult ish mm. that's supposed that's used so that evil spirits don't yeah. uh, pick on him. Yeah. Because they think it's a sickly child, they're not going to bother with him. They're yeah. going to try and find yeah. a healthy one to steal away. Mm. So it's this sort of injury through language that is also protecting. Yeah. Just to, and and you know, in a way, you could say that that's a fairly similar sort of. If you want to be tidy about mm. it, which let's not. But <laughs> if you want to be tidy about it, that's kind of the same thing that's happening with this, the language itself, for the fact yeah. that he's using this English, and yeah, the fact that it's. Uh, the violence in, in, in the sense of the separation mm-hmm. of that language is also an enabler yeah. uh, for something else. That's, yeah, it's a, it is in that way, like a very, like a quite a fascinating conceit. You can get somewhat, I mean, I think, yeah, when, when you, when I started reading, I was somewhat irritated by this kind of, by the, the, the kind of art, not the sort of artifice that it was built mm-hmm. upon and this, this, you know, this kind of paradoxical, very Deridian kind of way of like, <laughs> uh, can't quite ever communicate well. But then, I don't know, it seems to earn its place through the novel as you find details like the hands and mm. then the, 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 the use of like little dog and then and then also like in the material where he's trying to describe things that are traumatic or things that are difficult or things that are graphic. It's, yeah, he certainly like earns the distancing move from the outset as like an actual structural part of what he's trying to discuss. And I think mm. that's, yeah. If I may just yeah. add something, it's, I think, I mean, now we just talked straight, went straight into talking about language, but language is obviously such a key part of the book because it's connected to migration mm-hmm. that I don't know if we just like put, put that theme on the table actually, but yeah, you know, it is how do you write a novel that is about displacement and lack of language yeah. and lack of, ability to translate you know and i think that's when i when i the few interviews i have heard with ocean wang it's this seems to be also kind of his as an, an author his mission how do you breach this this void that exists mm. um in, in in a tradition that is you know all about he's very critical of the um show don't tell mm. uh the writer's workshop all these kind of yeah. structures of writing that are based on an assumption that we have something in common and we can all speak the same language. And we know what to show because everyone implicitly understands the cultural context instead of, Mm. you know, telling. That's really interesting because I would like, the times when he, say, quotes Bart or something like that, I found myself having this like visceral (laughs) negative reaction to it. (laughs) Like you're just putting this like high French theory on top of 
trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's really interesting, like, given what you're saying, that perhaps that kind of, like, discomfort is something that's, like, intentionally provoked or Mm. that he's, like, looking... Like that he's very aware of and maybe, I don't know, even working with. Well, let's, well, maybe we can dig down into mm. the migration, the yeah. sort of mm. your topic and, and your topic, the, the topic that you've Please, my topic, please. And then, because <laughs> um, I think, mm. yeah, that is a sort of central thing. But I think it's, again, a bit like the language. I think it's, again, it's a built on this uh, another... Um, uh, clash, basically, an- another problem where where their presence in America is is caused by these sort of contrasting issues, right? So they are there because of the war. They're both they're victims of the war, but they're also they're Amer- victims of an American war, but they're also implicitly, or at least as far as the North Vietnamese are concerned, they are implicated on the American side. So that's one that they need to leave because they are considered yeah. the, the mother and the, and the grandmother, especially the grandmother, I guess, who's had this child with an American GI, mm-hmm. is considered sort of traitorous. So yeah. they are, they're, they're sort of impacted from both sides in this, in this sort of conflict, that it's sort of created mm-hmm. this situation, this impossible situation, which they really aren't sides for them no <laughs> yeah it's actually that's actually quite a fascinating thing as well because there's also then a deferral in this because they do stay they end up staying in vietnam for a long time so that his mother actually grows into an adulthood so she is then unable to understand like to, she doesn't grow up in the u.s as you'd imagine because this american gi who was her presumptive father goes back because he's been tricked by his mother and then the letters that she sends to him never arrive and the fucking theme repeats yeah. itself. Yeah, that was about to say. <laughs> um, the communication is missed there as well, and that stops him going back to her. But there's also that yeah, the distancing thing. So like, there's there's no reason why um, Rose should have like uh, little dog's mother should have grown up without any knowledge of English, were it not for the fact that her father was then separated from her, well, the presumptive father. Um, and then, as you say, all of this other, like, historical, all these uh, historical conditions just impose themselves and impose themselves and they get into a smaller, smaller co- corner of this country, which they're not part of anymore, really. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, have they, the migration move has to happen to a place where they're also not a part of it. And it's, God, it's, stru- it's structurally, it's a, uh, it's... It's, it's, so, it's all yeah. these entanglements. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I think one of the really interesting entanglements, well, they're all interesting, but I, I think what one aspect is... The grandfather figure, who's yeah. technically not his grandfather, mm. but acts as a grandfather. He's not his grandfather because the child that he had is a different, is yeah. not little dog's mother, but a different one. It's a stepsister. Um, he sort of speaks Vietnamese, but he lives in Virginia. Yeah, and there's this, this, these odd sort of separations mm. and connections. I think the the are, there's there's a scene where. He's on Skype in Vietnam showing his grandfather the the tomb of of his grandfather's sort of ex-wife, yeah. the the, yeah. the his 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 grandmother and uh, and this guy trying to speak in Vietnamese via Skype to a tomb is uh, <laughs> like if you want to talk yeah. about separation, <laughs> yeah. how about that? 
<laughs> and separation and, and also immediacy as well. Like, mm, yeah. yeah, he is there doing that, but it's not. Yeah, uh. I find that nearly the most. Um, that was nearly the most. There's so many tragic moments in this book, but it was a kind of tragic moment when it was revealed very early on that the grandfather is not the biological grandfather, and you can also the little dog reflects on this that that one connection, biological, deep-rooted connection to the U.S. Mm. is now actually gone. Mm. And it's a constructed connection instead. And I think that and that untethers him even more from the place. But then there's this wonderful choice by the non-biological grandfather to still be the grandfather. And there's also something very beautiful in, in that choice and which I feel kind of, I wrote down, that's that's a different theme for later, but I wrote <laughs> down the white men of this book. Yeah. Uh, because they're actually a very interesting yeah. characters and, and unexpected characters. I find the grandfather to be an unexpected character. I think we can get to this through what I was just going to add to this um, and also these two points together. Because it's also, it's a lot to do with bodies in that sense. Because then another thing that separates Rose from... It's not just like their position in relationship to the North Vietnamese. Like her actual body is encoded with Americanism mm. because yeah. she's got red hair and incredibly pale skin. Yeah. And that means that she's completely regarded as an outsider by everyone in Vietnam who literally like try and cover her in mud and, and, and like and shit to try and make her darker. Mm. And that, yeah. And so like she's actually bearing that history in her very existence. Yeah. And the display, and then so she's got the body which does not fit in Vietnam and she's got the cultural linguistic system that does not fit in America. And it's like, I mean, a little dog at the very early on in the book, he says there's that scene in the supermarket where she's trying to buy oxtail and she yeah. can't, she doesn't know what it's called in English yeah. and it becomes a very embarrassing situation for her and he decides then there to always be able to speak for her. Yeah. So there's this feeling by becoming, I mean, by becoming a writer mm. that is like living up to that or like the full, um, mm. uh, the full arch yeah. of being that translator mm. for her. Um, but then also, like you were saying, Sherry, uh, paradoxically, at the same time, distancing himself from her. Yeah, but what I think now is like, that's also a moment where he's acting kind of like stepping into a role as the man in the family. Mm. And I think that's like maybe a good segue into talking about the way this book deals with gender and sexuality. Um, because, yeah, I think that's, yeah, just there's this sort of like uh, an ambivalent relationship throughout to masculinity. Um there's this amazing moment towards the beginning of the book where he talks about um, like riding as a kid, I think, uh, like down a sh down riding his bike down a street, like wearing his mother's dress, mm. and that's something that's just sort of like mm. put out there or like <laughs> left there, and then it you. He's don't not <laughs> actually riding in the street. That's two things because he's riding. He was riding in the street. He gets beaten up for wearing for having a pink bike. Right. So he's biking in his house. In his right, yeah, yeah. In that's his true. mother's yeah. dress, and is still told off for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I guess yeah, that's a question. Or that was. I mean, this book deals with so many really um, important, really contemporary issues, um, such as migration, but then um, also. With um, like sexuality, yeah. LGBTQ plus, yeah, yeah, because yeah, you could say it like one way of interpreting, like, because yeah, there's a lot about the position of bodies and then specifically like white men's bodies, and you have this, I guess, both in like the kind of the bullying, but then also in the figure of uh, his uh, teenage lover Trevor, and also then I guess the imposition of the American GI's body upon the body of his mother. 
like the production of her body is through this imposition of another body into a space. So I don't know, maybe we could, we could I guess, introduce the, the character of Trevor and then talk mm. a bit about sexuality from there. So Trevor, Trevor. is a... Or Trev. Is he Trev ever? Or is he... Did, does is he, he doesn't want to be Trev. He doesn't want to be Trev. He never wants to be Trev. Yeah. So we'll respect that. Yeah. <laughs> Out of respect for the dead, we should... Oh, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say spoiler, but I have to say that very, very early into the like description of Trevor, you're like, okay, well, how many pages in has this guy died? <laughs> so that most of them. Yeah. <laughs> quite a surprising number. Um, so Trevor is a... Uh, but um, I, feel, I feel that like yeah. that is in code, like his trajectory mm. is kind of in code. Sorry, I'm going to... I'm going to <laughs> get a beer. I'm going to get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so going, while, I, while I summarize who Trevor is, Trevor is the... Um, Trevor is the grandson of the farm owner that uh, mm -hmm, yeah. of the farm that uh, Little Dog is working on, and he comes from a kind of rednecky, abusive family. Uh, just a dad who seems to be a kind of a washed-up alcoholic, um, and he is pretty macho, kind of farm boy aesthetic, but also super into Little Dog in a very sexual way and very sensual way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also very buddy kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it has lots of levels to this. Yeah. Yeah. But I think something like that plays out very, or that like, that comes out in like the way that um, this relationship they're developing, relationship with each other is narrated is that like there are all of these moments of tenderness mm. um, that come from Trevor, which are always very unexpected. Yeah. And I think like that's also very like palpable yeah. reading it, um, yeah. that there are a few points where little dog is sort of expecting this violence. Mm -hmm. And then instead it's like a this tenderness. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess in some ways, like were it not for their friendship, he's not dissimilar in kind from the people who bullied him at school. Like it's the same like archetype. And yet with like with these moments of tenderness, with these actual uh, actions of friendship, like they are, you know, they are friends. But he's like, oh, that's you know, he's not. So he's like, the one hand, he is this kind of fearful figure. But at the same hand, same time, he actually does open himself up to, to little dog. Um, but maybe that says also a lot about how we read like these white men in these situations. Like you were saying, mm. he is an archetype, and the fact that he defies our expectations by showing tenderness surprises you as a reader yeah um so in a way he's also i feel like uh, the author plays a little bit with this archetype and like yeah as yeah. a way of i don't know i don't know is there anything he wants to say with it i just love the i just love how unexpected it was um but it also said something about myself i think that i found yeah. it unexpected well i think there is something clearly being said about this because I think that's like it speaks to the ambivalence you were speaking about. Before. Someone was speaking about before. Someone was speaking about ambivalence. Always about ambivalence. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, gesturing on podcasts doesn't really work very well compared to saying Sherry's name. <laughs> uh, but in that, you know, there's there is an attraction to that kind of confidence and power and swagger that he appears to have at times when he's not in the depths of depression and substance abuse, and that is also what is somewhat fearful about him because he's got this you know, this power of violence is at his disposal at any point in time. And that's both compelling and repulsive. And then when it's actually back, like, you know, it's, uh, it, when it actually emerges as tenderness at times, though not consistently, like pretty consistently, but not entirely consistently. You, uh, yeah, you're allowed, you're allowed to find like a sort of a possibility about what this kind of type could be. Mm, and I exactly. Think, yeah. Yeah. 
Because when you're talking about the the uh, the sort of indicators for mm. this are, well, one thing is his his um, Trevor's love for shooting is uh, Smith and Wesson. Mm. The other thing is I, I I'd sort of forgotten it for a while, and then it's mentioned again like um, towards the end. Um, he also wears a like a army helmet a lot, and I'd completely forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's another. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Trevor but, also goes around in an army helmet. In a sense, in a sense, it's the little same. dog is repeating that pattern. But that's. I doesn't he say at some point, little dog? I remember this army helmet so vividly, and yet when I look at photos of us, or it's not there. Mm. Like, did he put it there in his in his recollection? Yeah. I feel like there's a moment in the book where where he is unsure about whether that army helmet that he keeps referring to was even real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially because little dog has worn a an army helmet. A uh, toy. That's it. Less. Wait, is that what we're already talking about? We're no, talking about Trevor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the like, it's the second page of the novel um, where he talks about the first time that his mother mm. beat him, and he says that he was a. Uh, yeah, I stood bewildered, my toy army helmet tilted on my head. Mm. Um, oh, as he's trying to sort of like inhabit this like American yeah. um, military <laughs> fantasy. Fantasy, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but in that way, it's like the white men in this book, if we, I just mm. put them that, in that category, but they're not that many of them. There's the grandfather and Trevor, and I think they both show compassion through their choice, the choices mm. that they make, the yeah. tenderness that, tr- like, because there's moments where Trevor could be violent, but he chooses mm. to be tender, and at the mm. same time, the grandfather chooses to yeah. be his grandfather and yeah. be a family for, for him when he could choose not to. Yeah. Um, and there's, um, yeah, and, and in that way, there's this, there's just, it, it, it breaches those boundaries that sometimes are set up so hard in when you're just dealing with things politically and not necessarily in yeah. art. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, I think, also speaks to Trevor's, his relationship with Trevor, which I feel just reading the book, it was never a big deal that it was with another boy. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that it's with another boy is very rarely Mm. is very is very rarely touched upon yeah. it's just a fact of life and this it's just this this relationship that blossoms and that mm. happens but more yeah certainly from little dog's point of yeah. view from trevor's point of view he's a bit more conflicted about it yeah but that comes quite late i feel and then yeah. it's these small interjections so yeah it is interesting it is interesting to think like the mismatch between what trevor wants to do and what he thinks he is all to want to do and how that just mm. bubble, bubble up like when he you know has a moment of reflection he's like you know saying are you planning to be uh, gay forever little dog uh, yeah. <laughs> great question <laughs> yeah y- yeah oh, alright I think I'm gonna probably get it out of my system and then move on <laughs> pray it away so there was something I, a part of the book that was like you know sometimes books have these nuggets which are like this is how to read me. <laughs> and I thought this kind of read like uh, that to me. It's in like, there are a few um, prose poetic sections mm-hmm. of the novel. So where it, uh, I guess there are these like short sentence sort of breaks. Mm. Um, and one of them, um, it's just two sentences. He says, a person beside a person inside a life. That's called parataxis. That's called the future. Three sentences. And parataxis is one of those words which... I've learned like 
50 times and then never remember what it actually means. <laughs> I was like, please tell me what this means. Um, so it's this like rhetorical um, structure where clauses or phrased are placed after each other, either without any conjunctions or without any subordinating conjunctions. So the sentence, a person beside a person inside a life, mm. where they're sort of just, you have these like next to each other mm-hmm. things. And for me, that seemed a little bit like what he was doing with these sort of like big issues you could call them in a way like war trauma the opioid crisis and it seemed like a kind of methodology both Mm -hmm. in terms of his prose but also thematically um and i was yeah wondering if we yeah if we could yeah yeah if that makes sense i was thinking this because like that that's exactly what because you get that in a massive dose in the opening and the closing of the novel because then he's really just like gonna race and it's this it can be very effective at times when he has that kind of juxtaposition effect um where you just you consider one situation in the context of another one in the context of another one and when you first read the novel like i would say like I, it took me 34 pages to get into this book because those first 34 pages i found to be hard work because i was like i get it you're deep <laughs> you contain multitudes <laughs> um you but, are a ruby cover but, but then once, and I think actually anyone is skeptical about this book when they start reading it, I said get through those 34 pages because once it slows down, once it's you know done deluging you with the big thematic material, it then takes a bit more time to explore them more thoroughly and then and then also but always you know between chapter sections doing that very parataxical uh, <laughs> maneuver throughout. And I think it is effective, even though at times when it's in very close proximity, it can be. A little bit like fucking monic butterflies. I don't care. Just stop telling oh. me. Uh, yes, I, w- I, I will say that there are some aspects that are a bit too like 2010s books. Like, I'm going to talk about something unrelated, but actually it's the same. <laughs> and uh, is that a very 2010? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a like, I don't know. I, I do it myself. Sherry, you yeah, were going to no, say no, something. But I'm thinking I think because, as, yeah, I was also thinking like, I, I kind of wanted to ask you, Megan, whether yeah. like, whether that strategy is a millennial one, <laughs> not necessarily in a bad way, but it seems all, like almost in line with a kind of like, yeah. yeah, simultaneity, this idea that like we're thinking about all these things all the time that are like, you know, Facebook or whatever feeds yeah. are just bombarded with all of these serious issues, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I mean, it's interesting that you say this 2010s technique because it is very much like, it seems to, it seems to speak to... to living in a condition of constant juxtaposition. Um, I think the Tiger Woods is a very 2010s technique. I think uh, that oh, yeah. also because that, am I mistaken thinking that's abandoned fairly early in that? The the Tiger Woods analogy, analogy. because Tiger Woods is thought of as this, uh, a, a, a comparison in some yeah, way, like yeah. this, this guy of uh, very mixed, sort of mm. background from what mm. I understand and who's like at the top and mm. and uh, but it's it's like you're meant to be comparing little dog's possibilities to his realized potential and then it just doesn't come up again at any other point through the novel so you yeah. just get this one chapter where it's fleshed out and then I'm, I'm glad it didn't go down that yeah. route to be honest but <laughs> I think there, <laughs> I, I, I really like a, a lot of bits part. of this uh, I think but yeah I was going to say something. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, because you, yeah. you, were, you were quoting Walt Whitman. Uh, and I think some of this, dis- like, there was some, 
someone mentioned something about him not being into like like MFA kind of yeah. but he seems very invested in quite traditional American literature. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of lot of his writing is 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 kind of I mean like he seems like someone who's read like Walt Whitman yeah. and like there there are there are bits of Walt like of that Walt Whitman-esque yeah. Which is very paratactical. It's yeah. very expansive. It's lots of bits, and there's also bits that are very, that seem very American in their chopped upness, in their sort yeah. of uh, Hemingway esque yeah. like <laughs> sort of thing. So I think there's definitely a mix of those. Yeah. Ben Lerner was his. It seems like yes. his mentor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed, like, right at the end, I read that. I was like, where does it say? Where it's do a, you? There's an acknowledgement section at the uh, end yeah. um, where he thanks Ben Lerner twice. In fact. Oh. Wow. Okay. Oh, there wow. you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe it, this paratexis, maybe this kind of way of writing is like, maybe that's why we have such a hard time discussing and analyzing it as well, that these things are both deeply intertwined and then at the same time so disconnected or just then at the same time, their intertwinement is never really fully fleshed out. It's just present. And yeah. yeah it's more poetic yeah. in a way, yeah. in that way. Or I think, I don't even know if this calls itself a novel um i think it does point. um but it does feel very poetic and like it's composed and by it seems like a book which like well, it's, it's not the, i think is there something it's the in first here novel maybe that it's by not a poet right like he's he's yeah. yeah became famous for like his first volume and i think Night you Square can some, yeah. you can sometimes uh, you can very much tell that it is a novel oh, by sure. a poet yeah absolutely like that's i think yeah all the bits that Megan are talking about. Mm. I, I, well, as I was reading, I was imagining your reaction a little bit. <laughs> um, I think they're mostly pretty good. Like I, I liked a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, I also, but uh, I think I like them more in the first half than the second half. And I think it's because the first half, uh, a lot of the um, linguistic sort of uh, expansiveness and strangeness. Mm -hmm is also really linked to a story about him acquiring English and mm -hmm. about English being this foreign thing. Um, so the two are quite intertwined yeah. and it's really interesting. Yeah. And it's it's a sort of explanation of the fact that in a sense to to have the language is also to be able to like break it in some ways. Yeah. Right. That uh, you get to a level uh, like at a certain level yeah. becomes pretty much the same as not knowing it because you can achieve very similar effects. <laughs> it's whether it's yeah. intentional or not, and sometimes yeah. that even intention yeah. is very yeah. very blurred. In yeah, that. it's like like deep deep podcast sentences which don't really have yeah. to. It's be it's because so I, I, again the reason I like the first yeah. half more is because it had this juxtaposition of bits ways very poetic where he does like inversions like saying that like morning descended upon us mm. right which is you know the reverse of what you'd normally do with morning but at the same time in maybe the very same chapter i can't remember that uh, there's a scene where he's uh, speaking to a woman in uh, a shop with his mother and he says very quickly i came out of my mum's arsehole <laughs> 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 and you know that's both you know it's embarrassing for him but it's also like a moment of fun yeah um but I yeah. think to my problem is I think because I like that so much about it that in the second half that's not really at all what's going on and in the second half a lot of these mm. things feel a little bit more like forced maybe mm. is 
There are maybe more meditations than yeah, yeah, what what art is, what yeah. literature is. I think towards mm. the end, That's, and what what he's he's doing, and well, what he said was also like one of the reasons he wanted to do this was that uh, I said I recently just yeah, just watched this interview where he was saying that he wanted to consider the novel to be he wanted to use the le- the letter form or the uh, what's it called epistolary. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, because it allows for the possibility of the kind of digression into the essayistic. And he wants to go essayistic because he wants to go from the French root of that, which is to attempt. He wants to attempt stuff mm-hmm. and try things out. And I, I think that's, yeah. I just don't get that much. Do you, do you get a strong sense of essayism? Because no. where, no, I do, <laughs> where I do is... Ah, oh, okay, maybe in the poem. You see no, no, they are, they okay. are poems. They're not, they're not essays. Because yeah. in and, the bits that I get it are the bits that I like a little bit less. There's a bit where he's talking about the friends that they've that have, that they've met or have died yeah. and the stuff about the opioid crisis. Yeah. The problem with the friend stuff, and it's just, it's a, it's a personal problem. It's, I'm not saying it's an issue with the book. It's just that I don't know, I haven't heard anything about yes. him talking yeah, to yeah. anyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Until yeah, yeah. he mentions them all dying. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, I don't feel you've kind of earned this. <laughs> I don't feel it has earned this. I don't want to say you have. I don't want well, yes, yeah, yeah. But I don't feel that that really builds up. That doesn't yeah, really match yeah. up. And then that yeah. opioid crisis bit itself again, that mm. was felt a little bit more shoehorned in. Mm. It doesn't really come, we don't get to it from somewhere no. as much. It is a big political rant at the end. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I have no problem with that. Rant, but uh, I don't know. It just needs I, more ingredients. It, it, needs more setup. Stylistically, it just it 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 felt a little bit. It wasn't what I liked in the yeah. in the rest of it. I think I did like the like Lucy Goosey yeah. meditational like. Um, also, mm. he writes very good sex scenes. Yes, we should mention. Those. <laughs> yes, he describes say like true. he described this. Um, yeah, uh, in the same interview, he wanted that he wanted them to be uh, relentless. <laughs> because he wanted to highlight the notion that they were not a threshold because it's not the same for he, from his what he was saying that it, apparently for pe- for queer bodies it's not the same kind of morality play at play uh, with like oh now you've entered into this kind of matrimonial status or whatever or this kind of uh, avoidance of matrimony you know, you're not entering into that dynamic so it's something else so you're not doing the thing that's prescribed you're doing uh, you're having to fail yourselves into pleasure. <laughs> That's a really good wow. description yeah. of what he's actually written there as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that. But I think it's funny that I I also had um, problems with I had problems with some of the more poetic bits of the text, and in a way I feel like even though he has said this show don't tell is can be problematic that mm. he is actually best when he shows when mm. he's when he writes those sex scenes mm. and he's just sh- showing this, the, the tenderness, the sensuality, the, uh, the failing mm-hmm. and not, you know, meditating on it, mm. but describing it. Yeah. That's where I find the book to be the most powerful. Yeah. And to really open up boundaries of what the like language can do and describe and make sentences that don't really make sense, but when you're reading them in that context, they make yeah. sense. I think when also when by the time these scenes like emerge in like the latter two thirds of the book, you've already kind of, you trust the way that he's using language mm. and the skill and deafness with which he's doing so that even though it becomes kind of graphic and it becomes like like you know, relentless, um, 
it's it retains it retains a feeling of like sensuousness and beauty, um, which is weirdly somehow like established by everything else he's doing in the rest yeah. of the novel by this, the level of craft elsewhere. Just so that you know that when he gets to this, it's not. The, 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 what's shocking about it is how you actually like. Oh, this is intriguing. I'm just. I would like to ask you all whether you think it's a beautiful or gorgeous book because that was something <laughs> I thought about while reading it. Um, because it, it's clearly very invested yeah. in beauty and yeah. the beautiful and I mean the title on Earth were briefly gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the time that got snuck in the title <laughs> into, the, into, into the text, I was like. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it is a bit like it's like the bit in movies when they say the title of the movie. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's you're going to die another day. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think there is like maybe there's something I want to rephrase my question because um, I think there's an important distinction between beautiful and gorgeous, mm. especially mm. because gorgeous like sort of. American slang has all these other resonance in it. Like it's a little over the top, hey, a little too up, much. Gorgeous. Like I mean, there, there's that, but there's also like sort of. I'm thinking of Jonathan Van Ness from um, Queer uh, Eye. Like I'm just, you know, uh, I'm relating to you over <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I just like I, th I think that that's also a little bit in his like. That seems like an intentional choice to choose mm -hmm. gorgeous, yeah. which maybe has a little bit of the too much. Yeah. in it yeah. than the beautiful does which is a yeah. little bit about like this moderation and a little gorgeous yeah. is a bit more sent like bodily right yeah it's a bit more like embodied it's a bit more like bit, yeah as you say like expansive yeah. to the point yeah. of yeah being too much yeah Kant never gave a critique of I mean, linguistically, there's also if it was beautiful, it would be on Earth. We're briefly beautiful. It would be an alliteration. Mm -hmm. And I'm just That'd wondering. Be horrible. Huh? It'd be horrible. No, but I'm yeah. just wondering if yeah. there's like something oh, with. Yeah, briefly beautiful would be not Like, good. I'm just wondering if he, as a poet, mm -hmm. it, does he want this sort of. This this the sound of gorgeous is like very. But it's amazing because you also like I mean something I would say to my sister like oh that's gorge or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like gorge I don't gorge know. is even more like yeah weird it's like it's, but it's really like guttural it yeah. sounds like thing, yeah. you know um, yeah. there's also like the word gorge which is mm. like a, a space between or like <laughs> this sort of like massive or to indulge like, too know, much in something to yeah. gorge to gorge exactly yeah. um, so all of that is yeah. in this word and I think like yeah I don't know. Maybe it's more gorgeous what, than what beautiful. Film, what <laughs> film has a character called Gorgeous George? <laughs> you know, so I don't know. <laughs> it's probably it's, it's probably some gangster movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like curious, George. No, yeah. no. I this think is, I think this is like the both the strength of the book and like what is its potential weakness and for, like when I which makes me somewhat ambivalent in both senses of the word ambivalent towards <laughs> towards the thing um, because. That that too muchness can be just a, an absolute thrill at times, and it can just pull you along. Um, at other times, you go like, "Okay, you're gonna get quite a good New Yorker review, I guess." Like, so I'm Actually aware not. of how that fits. No, really. Uh, well, this was one of those books where I had to read some reviews to figure out what I thought myself. You know, sometimes you need people's opinions to figure out what it is your own usually, opinion usually is. Usually, because they're so wrong that you get. <laughs> but then, and then I. I also because I felt a bit dis like a bit of uh, ambivalence, discomfort mm. with the book in some respects, and that was kind of the uh, the new the review in maybe it was the New York Times, maybe not the New Yorker. Uh, it's 
I was see, say, there's it seems like New York affair to me. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you're right. Yeah, New York. Okay, so the New York Times is like the New York Times described, as far as I remember, these bits of that we've been talking about the meditations. It's kind of pebbles in the shoe of the reader that you're walking along, and it's this wonderful journey. But there's these things that pop up that kind of don't fit, and they, they kind of they annoy you on on the way to you know the end of the book, which is a beautiful, yeah. um, which is a beautiful journey, but. Yeah, like, and I think the, the the reviewer was very much felt that these were kind of unnecessary parts. So, okay, but let's get uh, the New Yorker review. I should review that, really. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of my point, but it seems to be so silly when it sounds like... Something but I'm also re, I'm like yeah, representing yeah, yeah. someone else's, like... No, but... Which I yeah. skimmed. So sorry to whoever wrote that. Maybe, it but I think I think your point, or like the point made by the New York Times article, is slightly different. And the pebbles in the shoe remind me of this very early, um, something that happens very early in the book where he describes um, being on a plane going to California with a lot of turbulence mm. and I being a very nervous flyer have experienced <laughs> that flight and there's always a lot of turbulence. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, like his mother, like she describes how she like uses her body weight to like shelter him, mm. like absorb the shock of all the turbulence. And then like he, that she tells him that it's because when you get this high, the clouds turn into rocks. Um, it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> which is terrifying. Yeah. Which is like, I, I and, but I'm bringing this up because like for me, that was a pebble in the shoe that I feel like will haunt me every time. <laughs> 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 it's like, yeah. I'm gonna, what if these were rocks? <laughs> then we're definitely, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be good. Um, but I, I'm, but I think like that's another kind, another kind of pebble in the shoe, which this book gives, which is that it like, it leaves you with images that, that and these sort of like phrases that that haunt, mm-hmm. um, and I think yeah that aren't positive, at yeah. least and like or redeeming. And, and, and I think it's not. I think the strength of it is that it smuggles in quite haunting stuff through this kind of beautiful language. At the same time, I think at other times it covers up the harrowingness of what it's trying to talk about by aestheticizing it in a way which is. I don't know, maybe I want, do I want an ugly book about ugly things? Is that how simple I am? <laughs> um, it's a bit, it's a bit uh, reductive, isn't it? Yeah. I just, Redu- <laughs> yeah. It's I, about ugly things. <laughs> it should suck. <laughs> um, I, I think what I mean is like, I'm troubled by, I'm troubled by the way that it kind of becomes palatable to a certain kind of cultural consumption. Oh, there's a great bit in it, which I really <laughs> want to give him kudos for because... I don't know whether he agreed on it with the person in question or not, but the point in it where he's talking about the book he's writing and he says, I hope they don't say it's urgent and necessary. And like, if I look on the blurb, like the fourth one is like, luminous shattering, urgent, necessary. Mm. Did they coordinate on this one? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because like he definitely... Like, that, it wasn't definitely, a secret in the book. <laughs> definitely self, really self-aware about like the kind of reception yeah. it's going to get. I think like it knows, like I think it... It's aware of that yeah. move. Yeah. The it's also the second book I've ever maybe I just don't read enough, but it's only the second novel I read that very overtly um, um, refers to that. What's her name? Elaine Scarry on Beauty and Being Just book, hmm? which is also the one that uh, the Zadie Smith book mm. on beauty is about as well. Okay. But if no one's read that. No. I've read that. I have. You have read I've that. read that book, yeah. On and, Beauty, but not... Oh, on Beauty. Oh, okay. Not the no. Netherlands going. Okay. All right. In that case, I, like, if none of us have read it, then we can't do <laughs> if it. If anyone wants to at Charlie, Apologies. then uh, he, you can have a conversation about that essay. I Don't at me. 
<laughs> also, <laughs> no one knows what my fucking Twitter handle is anyway. It's fine. Um, but just to, I think that's actually a really interesting part in the book where he becomes a bit meta and talks about the reception of his writing mm-hmm. because um, it's his Ben Lerner moment. Yeah, and but also because I feel like now we're talking about this book and we're all sitting here. Some of us are actually migrants. Some of us. And uh, you are all, I'm not, I'm from Denmark where we're sitting. You are all living here, coming from different places. But this is a very much a book about positionality as well. And so I like the whole critique of the urgent and necessary is also to me a critique of, you know, him being put in a box from a certain position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel also in this podcast, we owe it to the book to also at least, you know, consider what is our own position in reading this book. And how, yeah. how does it affect our reception of it? Like, do I not like the meditative parts because maybe I don't find them relevant to my own experience? Is that why they feel sometimes, like, redundant to me? No, it's more because, like, the opioid crisis stuff and the references to Bart, I've read them too many times. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite of that. To some, well, obviously I don't have, well, maybe not obviously, but I don't have any specific... It's not just about experience, but it's also kind of what your references are. Mm, Of course, but I mean, do you understand what I'm saying about positionality with regards to this book? I mean, not talking about your own positionality with regards to this book. Yeah, I mean, this is also the thing why I end up being somewhat ambivalent about it, because he's going to to introduce a whole set of ideas to uh, cultural discourse. And how do you do that? You go to the top of cultural discourse, which always neuters and always does its own thing and appropriates whatever gets given to it. But if you don't do that, it doesn't happen. So like he's he's playing this interesting game where he's you know if he make, if he makes this you know radical kind of countercultural move that can't be accepted by a kind of a discursive mainstream, mm. then what was the point <laughs> to a certain extent? It was just for his own like you know gen- genuine expression. But then he's decided no, I'm going to forgo whatever is the perfect aesthetic combination to articulate these kinds of traumas and and as I said, I'm going to just use the language of beauty and which is as commonly understood by the discursive structures around me and I'm going to invest in that and through that I'm going to try and express this and that will get lost but at the same time will also maybe break through mm. and that's a tr- I'm, I, I admire the calculus and I and all the uh, maybe it's not calculus but I admire the move because it's about it's it's a nice non-purity move and I think that's important when you're trying to get something to be communicated which you think is important mm-hmm. and that the importance transcends the reductive thing of people critics calling it important <laughs> <laughs> but i mean does it make sense what i'm trying to say that like yeah i how, think yeah yeah i think so i kept thinking um there's this uh, i think it's a short story maybe it's an essay by wv um Du Bois called Of the Coming of John. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read this like a long time ago. So my memory <laughs> of it is very hazy. Um, but it's um, about a black man who goes. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's a story about how um, he, he goes as a young man to get an education and then comes back and finds that he can't talk to anybody, despite the fact that he spent two or four years um, learning like mm. about language okay. um and then it, it like education becomes a means of alienation from yeah. where he comes from yeah um and that's something that's very i think palpable <laughs> in this book tour that i i thought about and um, there's also what on beauty is like Zadie mm. smith's on beauty is to some degree too yeah. right yeah, yeah um that and this is something um i don't know i i've thought a lot about 
too and that I think yeah that this there's this like once you get access to this sort of like high theory and like all of this language and all of this ability to express yourself it doesn't necessarily help you to express what you've been through or what you've lived through or like the people around you who would never use or think about the things in the same terms mm. this is kind of like fundamental dissonance that I think you feel mm -hmm. between the two worlds um and I think that that like location is a part of it too because like in the um Du Bois story it's also about going away and coming, yeah, coming back. back yeah and that sort of going away and coming back is all happening almost like within himself because he's in Hartford most of the time in Connecticut and then goes to New York which mm. is very that's like two hours on the train or something even less maybe mm. um but I think, yeah, that's that sort of going and coming back and how to like live between two worlds. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Does that, does that get what you're like? What, 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 yeah. No, but I mean, but, don't you, when you read books like this, don't you also reflect on, I mean, I now I don't have all this critical theory background that you all have. So I'm just going to speak in like normal language. Those two have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so. Like with regards, like you say, with access and distance that that also I feel sometimes in, in circles, I'm like, I have no idea what is being talked about, how to access that. But then at the same time, I go home and they have no idea what I'm talking about. So <laughs> there's always uh, levels. Um, no, but I mean more, don't you ever consider that your reception of a book is also based on how you can relate to the story? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought like one thought I had throughout it was that I bet that like we're all talking about moments that um, maybe made it made us cringe mm. for lack of a better word and I, I just have thought throughout this conversation like were those the same moments mm. and probably not I mean I think mm. like for me like certain ones were just because they were like they were too close um, or there was this like discomfort and I'm sure that you know everybody has like there are different points yeah that sort of hit mm. right or don't yeah um, fit or don't yeah especially given like the kind of density that this is playing with as we tried to outline in the opening it's a uh, there's like yeah myriad interpretations of of pretty much any kind of paragraph of this and then how they interlink as well uh at, an hour of conversation though is is a long time <laughs> let's let's please stop <laughs> we and given <laughs> given the lateness of the hour and the fact that obviously we could continue with this for about another three hours, I think we should probably draw this out to a close. Um, not because you're boring, because it's fascinating. It's more because <laughs> if I don't do this now, it might become too unwieldy to, to steer the ship back to harbour. So um, let's do a little round to close it out. So uh, Charlie, would you uh, recommend this book? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think I already have. <laughs> No, no, sorry, not in, not during this necessarily. I just meant like in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought you meant. <laughs> I, I always have to. I have to admit. I always have to preface it by ignore the title. It's actually worth it, and I think mm. you, uh, Megan, also had a problem with the title. No, actually, so, I think I think the title is actually okay. Sherry has a problem with the title. <laughs> Sherry, how are you? <laughs> sorry, I'm misremembering now. Yeah. I don't know on this one. Um, I mean, I I think I, I feel like every time I'm asked this question, I always. It's an odd thing, right? Because, like, yeah. how often do you like really recommend books to people? We, we do it all the time. We're in a bookstore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. No, but some are easier to recommend some, than others. Some of us. <laughs> like this... Some of us just sit in silence reading our books. To be honest. <laughs> I will, so I think it, maybe it was in the New Yorker review. There was like an analogy um, the reviewer used that it was like he was um, making poetry out of bones. 
something. And that's that's like a, a very clunky paraphrase on my part. Um, but that he was sort of like using these bodies mm. to make poetry happen or like this sort of like visceral. It sounds <laughs> yeah. a little bit less like a clunky paraphrase and more like the writer was kind of caught up in what he just read and then <laughs> yeah. a review in that style, which is always an unfortunate thing. Um, but I think I will say that parts of this um, made me very uncomfortable. And that's something that I think I usually seek out in the books that I read. Right. Um, but this was in like a an unsought discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for, that that's why I, I, I'm split between recommending it and not. But I think ultimately I, I would absolutely, yeah, I would Wh- recommend which, it. Can you, can you be, which, which bits, apart from the plane then? For obvious oh, reasons. <laughs> no, but I think it was that like things that I just felt like got in like inside mm. me, parts of it in the like, but like throughout my undergrad, um, there were a lot of you know usually older male professors, usually in the English department, who use this word um, "rich" to describe text mm. as a kind of fill-in for interesting mm-hmm. or like I mean not in a fill-in but yeah. a kind of like analogous word to interesting that it like fills in the blank it just means this is good there's a lot to unpack whatever. Yeah. Um, but like reading this book I was like okay everything that I've heard described as rich before is like Flaubert and mm. Dostoevsky that's not really rich. This is rich <laughs> in right. the way that, like, it makes you nauseous. Like, you're eating a stew that, like, <laughs> somebody might have snuck some human meat into. <laughs> um, the Cartman surprise. Like, like that kind of yeah. rich. Yeah, like, yeah. rich that it's, yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. Rich that it's too much. Rich that it's, yeah, too much. You're but gorging like, yourself on you're Exactly. Gorgeous. On earth, you're briefly gorging yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what I'll say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's that's good. And Amelia, how about you? I feel like the more distance I get from the book, the less I like it. I actually liked being in it while I was there. Um, but I would recommend it. I think it's always, it's always really useful, interesting uh, to be in a person's shoes, brain that you would never otherwise be in. And I think this is just... This is a story that is both urgent and necessary um, in that regard. But... Um, but also, like language-wise, there are some really beautiful mm. um, places in it that I find that are worth the whole the whole read. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think I would say that it's it's probably necessary, but I don't think it's urgent. <laughs> I think it's oh really because I think it's really urgent but not necessary. <laughs> it means you read it this week, and if not, fuck it. No, I'm kidding. Because like, I, cause like if I was going to say who I'd recommend it to, I'm going to say that I recommend it to people who like to read literary fiction like I'm not going to recommend it to someone because they want to no. find out about Vietnam no, 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 or no, the no. migrant experience no like it's it's or, or, or like a, a kind of a, a migrant experience in the, in the context of uh, homosexual coming of age stories like it's not that for this people who want to read really really good writing um, and that is both the you know praise and also its limits which it knows about and I don't know I don't know if it fully addresses the fact that it knows that it's got this limit built into it. And it's great that it knows, but what's the next step then? Mm. It's not dumbing it down. It's got to be something else. But it's, yeah, it's it's a good book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cut it there. <laughs> oh, wait, Charlie, do you have any ideas for next month? Or are you... I have too many ideas. I'm not going to reveal them yet. Guest curator next month. Get ready. We're gonna, 
Hopefully, stick on Instagram. It's going to be a good one. Cheers, guys. <laughs>